Hello, everybody. Welcome to Doctrine of Christ podcast. Tonight, we are looking at, does God allow a prophet to lead us astray? So, with this topic, we are going to look at some scriptures here. How about Jeremiah 23, verse 9? Mine heart within me is broken because of the prophets. Or verse 11, for both prophet and priest are profane. Yea, in my house I have found their wickedness, saith the Lord. Or, and jump down to verse 20. In the latter days ye shall consider it perfectly, giving a context for the end times. What is that talking about? Or verse 7 here in Doctrine and Covenants, section 85. It shall come to pass that I, the Lord God, will send one mighty and strong holding the scepter of power in his hand, clothed with light for covering, whose mouth shall utter words, eternal words, while his bowels shall be a fountain of truth, and look at this, to set in order the house of God. So what is this? What's what's out of order about the house of God? Or how about this? Section 112, verses 24 through 26. Behold, vengeance cometh speedily upon the inhabitants of the earth, etc., etc., verse 25, and upon my house shall it begin, which is apparently out of order. Upon my house shall it begin. And to clarify that, verse 26, first among those among you, saith the Lord, who have professed to know my name and have not known me. So, here we have some startling verses, and there's a lot more that we're going to look at tonight. But they're pointing at some stuff uh, that's going down in the latter days with the Lord's people. Uh, So we're going to take a look at that, take a look at tons of scriptures, try and put them all together in context, and see if we can paint a clear picture of what is Jeremiah talking about, uh, what is the Lord talking about, house out of order, and why he's going to bring this vengeance upon his house first before the rest of the world. And tonight, we'll help bring that into clearer view with the parable of the redemption of Zion. And if you're not familiar with that, that is in section 101, where we take a look at how the Lord restored the gospel and wicked watchmen coming over and taking over the vineyard, and then the Lord sending servants back uh, to to reclaim the vineyard and to scatter those wicked watchmen, etc. We're going to bring all this in together with scriptures from the Bible, from the New Testament, and from the Book of Mormon. So let's take a look at this parable of the redemption of Zion briefly. We're not going to read the whole thing. We're just going to look at some of the aspects of it. And that's going to help give us a bit of a context for then going back and looking at these scriptures, plus the many more that we have for tonight. It's really important to understand what happened during uh, the lifetime of Joseph Smith with the restoration of the gospel. And I think this helps us a ton. So let's take a look here. This is section 101, uh, verses 43. Now you can go to about 69. That's, that's about as far as uh, the parable goes. Right now, we're just going to look at an overview. So, verse 43, I show unto you a parable that you may know my will concerning the redemption of Zion. 
a certain nobleman had a spot of land, very choice. And he said unto his servants, Go ye unto my vineyard, even upon this very choice piece of land, and plant, plant twelve olive trees, and set watchmen round about them, and build a tower, that one may overlook the, the land round about, to be a watchman upon the tower. Uh, now, we see that the servants did what they were supposed to, except when it came to building the tower, verse 48, what need hath my Lord of this tower? So while they were at variance or being slothful, verse 51, the enemy came by night and took over. So the enemy, we'll put quotes around that, uh, takes over. And that is going to be really important because we need to understand who the enemy is. And then the Lord comes and says, what's going on? I told you to do all these things and to build a tower. That's verse 53. After they were all scattered, the servants run away. And we fast forward. And then he says, okay, to one of his servants, go and gather. Verse 55, go and gather the rest of my servants or the residue of my servants. And go and redeem my vineyard, he says. Verse 56, go and redeem it. So that means... Uh, Uh, that means that the parable here is talking about what is going on with his vineyard. Taken over, get it back. Okay, that's really important. So I'm going to show you here. We're going to keep track here. So we have the enemy. We have the vineyard. All right, so the enemy takes over the vineyard, got to get it back, and that's what these servants go and do. Uh, and if we fast forward, he also says, avenge me of mine enemies, verse 58, right here. But then the next verse is really interesting. The servant says to the Lord, when shall these things be, verse 60, when I will go do whatever I told you to do. So, that is the parable of the redemption of Zion. And this is really important to understand. Um, and once we start to understand it more clearly, we might have more questions than we have answers. And as we have more questions to understand, well, how, how could this be? How could this have gone on? Then we start to look at these scriptures from the Old Testament and from the New Testament and from the Book of Mormon that help paint the picture that's saying, look, we prophesied of this a long time ago, hundreds of years before, and it's been prophesied many times, and not only prophesied about, but this same type of thing has happened before multiple times. So that's what we're going to take a look at. Uh, so first, we're going to jump into Jeremiah 23, which is where we began. This, by the way, is from the uh, NAS, which is the New American Standard Bible. Uh, it reads a little bit more uh, modern type of speech, but uh, we can parallel it with the King James. So you can see it right next to it. So let's jump right in. Woe be unto the pastors 
that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Now, the pastors are shepherds. And if we change this to the English Standard Version, we see that quite clearly. And that's because shepherds are those who look at pastors. So it says, woe to the shepherds. I need red for that. So now we have shepherds, and we and I'm putting them under this enemy category because he says, "Woe to them, woe to them that scatter the sheep of my pasture." So in the in the parable of redemption of Zion, we have this idea of the enemy, and he says, "Go scatter their watchmen." So he's calling them wicked watchmen. Okay, wicked watchmen. I'm just going to love my handwriting there. Wicked watchmen, the enemy in the vineyard, or these shepherds that scatter the sheep. Well, shepherds aren't supposed to do that, right? We're going to read that. In the pasture, see the parallel? It is a complete parallel. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, verse 2, against the pastors or shepherds that feed my people, Ye have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not visited them. Or look at here in the English Standard Version, have not attended to them. And then we have some wordplay. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds. Or in the NAS, have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you. So that And that is supposed to be wordplay. You see that in, in any translation that's done well, that verse is supposed to have that wordplay. It's like, wait a minute, you didn't... You didn't do what you're supposed to do with them, so I'm going to do that same thing to you. Okay, so verse 3, I will gather the remnant or the rest or the remainder of my flock out of all countries, whither I have driven them, and will bring them again to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. So let me just pause for a second. Uh, remember, Jeremiah didn't write in chapters. He just wrote his prophecies. We have the book of Jeremiah. We have chopped it up into chapters and verses. That's just for reference. So here is this um, prophecy, but this woe against against uh, these shepherds here. And we need a context. And because it's in the Bible and because uh, Jeremiah's time and preaching in Jerusalem against a bunch of uh, wicked Jews at the time, it's really easy to set him back in that time and say, he belongs there. And this belongs there, and it doesn't belong here with us. Well, that's not actually true. If we look and read this as a whole, we take out the verses and just read it as a whole, we're going to see that he gives it an end-time context, and that's the that's verse 20. So I'm going to pull up just this. We can see here. Pull it up. Just the chapter itself, we can see the context, we can see the layout, and the Lord's talking. This is all the Lord talking this whole time, so we're gonna we're gonna go through it. But here in verse 20, as he's talking along, and it's and it's non-stop, it's not changing context at all, and he says, The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has performed and carried out the purposes of his heart, or in other words, the things that he has decreed here. And then look at this phrase. 
In the last days, you will clearly understand it. In the last days, you will clearly understand it. And this anger of the Lord is the same anger of the Lord talking about here in section 112, verse 24. Behold, vengeance cometh. This vengeance is the anger of the Lord. It's the day of judgment. And we're going to see that referenced over and over. So this is the day of judgment he's talking about. Verse 20 clarifies that. So Jeremiah tells us that this has an end time context. And that is really, really important to consider. So here we are continuing. Verse 4. I will also raise up shepherds over them, and they will tend them. All right, let's look at the parallel again. I, I really like doing the parallel as much as possible. In fact, let's go King James Version. And we'll even parallel English Standard Version. It's so helpful to look at the different translations and the different words. I highly recommend it. So, verse 4, look at this. I, on the right side, I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Okay? So he's saying, I'm going to get shepherds that will feed them. I'm going to replace them. I'm going to replace those shepherds that are feeding themselves and not taking care of them. Okay? Well, then look at this. Then he goes into talking about the Davidic servant. Verse 5. Still on the right side of the screen. we got the King James on the left. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Uh, you see in the King James, the Lord our righteousness. So that is a title. It's not saying that it will be the Lord, it's going to be the Davidic servant, and his name, this title, bears resemblance to his name. So here, I will set up shepherds over them, and so we're going to put here the Davidic servant, or the end time servant. So for more information on that, uh, there are already several episodes, including two that I have done on this topic to cover more about the role of this end time servant and who, who it might be, etc., etc. Now, that is uh, really helpful for you to know, and we have other podcasts that talk about it, and we don't have time to go into it tonight, but we need to know that that is what is being referenced here as he's talking about replacing these shepherds that is how we know, again, that this is an end-time context. So continuing, verse 7. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, so the days are coming, end-time context, declares the Lord when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of the land of Egypt, but they will say this, as the Lord lives, who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of the, all the countries where he had driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. So again, it's an end time context. So here we have 
this idea of an end time exodus. He says, you're going to, you're going to not remember the God that saved Israel out of Egypt anymore. Once we have this end time exodus, once we have this end time exodus, and he's saying it's going to bring all of Israel back. So this is the return of the lost 10 tribes. Okay. So this exodus, we got 10 tribes. And we got Judah shall be saved in the verse before. So we know that this is the marvelous work and a wonder spoken of in the scriptures, all over in the scriptures, uh, particularly in the Book of Mormon. Jesus talks about it a lot uh, in the Third Nephi in the Book of Mormon. So this Exodus brings them all back to their lands where they belong, and this end time servant is the shepherd who Jeremiah is saying will lead them. Well, this is so important because. He started off with the chapter saying, woe be to the shepherds who are supposed to be tending my flock and feeding my flock, but they're not doing it. So I'll tend to you for your evil do deeds, your evil doings, right? So, so that was here at the start. And so then he says, by the way, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to put these other shepherds over them and they're going to deliver them. So we're going to remember that. So let's, but now he's going to continue where he left off this, uh, this little sermon concerning the prophets. So he's like, well, now you're, we're not done here. Back to you guys concerning the prophets. My heart is broken within me. All my bones shake. I'm like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine because of the Lord and because of his holy words for the land is full of adulterers. Okay. The context here, what land is full of adulterers? It's, it's this concept here. It's the pasture. It's the pasture. Okay? The pasture is the land that's the context of this scripture. So we have to keep the context. We have to keep the context of everything that's being set. We have to be careful not to... Um, break this law of context, I put it in quotes, it's not really a law, but it's a principle of context, that, that when we're writing, or when we're reading the writings of these old ancient prophets of these Old Testament scriptures, New Testament, it doesn't matter. They stay on the same subject. They don't jump around as much as we like to think. We get to a new verse and we think, totally new topic because it's a new verse. No, it's the next sentence, darn it. It's supposed to be a paragraph, which is why I like uh, looking at this other view. And that's really helpful to do that. And the chapters sometimes, oh, it's a new chapter, total new topic. Not always, only sometimes. Only sometimes. So keep that in mind. That's what's going on here. This is important to understand because the vineyard and the pasture tells us where it's talking about. It's not the entire world. Okay? It's not the entire world. It's the Lord's people or those who consider themselves the Lord's people. Latter-day Saints consider themselves the covenant people of the Lord. So if they do, then as Nephi says, then you should be likening these scriptures unto you. Because if you consider yourself the house of Israel or the covenant people of the Lord, then it is talking to you. And it is. So let's go back and continue. So verse 10, the land is full of adulterers because of the curse the land mourns and the pastures of the wilderness are dried up. So now it's telling us the state of these pastures. Their course is evil and their might is not right. Uy. Both prophet and priest are ungodly or profane, as we see on the left side with the King James. 
Again, we're on the right side with the English Standard Version. Even in my house, I have found their evil. So he's so he's emphasizing that it is in the Lord's house. He's emphasizing in my house, even in my house. Okay. Uh, verse 12, therefore their way shall be to them like slippery paths in the darkness and to which they shall be driven and fall for I will bring disaster upon them in the year of their punishment, declares the Lord. In the year of their punishment. The year of their punishment is the time of their punishment or the day of their punishment. That is the day of the Lord, the day of judgment. That is here, verse 24 of 112, vengeance cometh speedily upon the inhabitants of the earth, a day of wrath, a day of warning, a time of wrath, a time of warning, a time of desolation, a year of desolation. All these words are, are links whether it says day, year, time, all of that stuff, uh, that's what Jeremiah's talking about. He's talking about the year of this punishment is the day of the Lord. So we have end time context. And we need to keep that end time context in mind. So I'm going to put that down here. Because if we don't remember, we're going to not apply it to ourselves properly. And that is exactly what Nephi was talking about. And that's exactly why he included that statement. He said he said that to his brothers. But it's for us too. And that's important. So, continuing with Jeremiah. So the prophet and priest. All right. Continuing. Now, in verse 13 here at the bottom, in the prophets of Samaria, I saw an unsavory thing. They prophesied of Baal and led my people Israel astray. So right here, led my people Israel astray or caused them to err. We see over here in the King James on the left side, causing to err and to lead astray are the same thing. So wait a minute. These prophets are leading astray. How can this be? Uh, that's not supposed to be able to happen. And that's why we're discussing this. Does the Lord allow his prophets to lead his people astray? So, well, I'm going to put that here so that we can be like, okay, so supposedly these shepherds or these, these shepherds led my people astray, he says. Interesting. Really curious. Well, let us take a look So, this idea of not being allowed to lead the people astray, we have the official declaration number 1 from Wilford Woodruff. You can find this in the back of the Doctrine and Covenants. So we want to see where this statement comes from because it's been passed down and it's ingrained in our brains. And we want to really look at it and learn from it, not be afraid to challenge any old night ideas and notions that don't hold up. So here's the declaration. We're not going to read the declaration. The declaration says that polygamy is going to end. We skip to the end. It's signed. 
uh, by Wilford Woodruff, president of the church. And then we move below that, and we have excerpts from three addresses given by Wilford Woodruff regarding the manifesto or the official declaration. So this is important to understand because these are just excerpts. These excerpts are not officially scripture. They are printed in our scriptures. There is a difference. Don't have time to go into that tonight. So if you want to disbelieve me or want to talk about it afterwards, that'd be great. But it's just printed in the scriptures. It's not part of the official scriptures. The official declaration is considered official scripture um, in the church. But but this is here. Let's read it. The Lord will never permit me or any other man who stands as president of this church to lead you astray. So he declares that it won't permit it. It is not in the program. It's not in the mind of God. If I were to attempt that, the Lord would remove me out of my place. And so he will any other man who attempts to lead the children of men astray from the oracles of God and from their duty. And he give that give that in a general conference address. So with this in mind, we have to say, well, wait a second. What is he saying here, though? He's saying here, led my people Israel astray. And then verse 14, but in the prophets of Jerusalem, I've seen a horrible thing. Do you see that? So verse 13 is like, well, the prophets of Samaria have led my people astray, these out, these outside peoples, and I saw an unsavory thing with them. But then with the prophets of Jerusalem, mine own prophets, I've seen a horrible thing. So verse 13 is an unsavory thing or seen folly in the King James Version. And verse 14, I've seen a horrible thing. He's escalating. This is escalation. You see that? It's like, look. Yes, these guys from the outside peoples, the outside cultures, leading some of you astray. But look at this. My own prophets. I've seen a horrible thing with them. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets. Which ones? The ones of Jerusalem. So concerning the prophets, behold, I will feed them with bitter food and will give them poisoned water to drink. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has gone out into all the land. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, my people. <laughs> listen to them. And filling you with vain hopes. Oh, interesting. Vain hopes. This is important. So we're going we're gonna to now... Include this on here. We need to include this on here. We have vain hopes. So lead my people astray. We have vain hopes as part of being led astray. We need to take a look at that. Oh, also, he's now specifically mentioned prophets. It started with shepherds using that imagery. Um, but now, whoops. But now we have prophets. So now he's being more direct. Prophets of my people. So he says, here he says prophets of Jerusalem. But if it's for the last days, if it's for the last days, then it's a type. Jerusalem is a type. Jerusalem is the capital of where the Lord's people are located. So you tell me what's the capital of where the covenant people are located. You tell me that. I'm not telling you. You tell me. Because people say, oh, you're just inventing stuff. Well, you decide where, what the latter day Jerusalem is. So here we go. 
Uh, ungodliness into all the land, verse 15. Now verse 16, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the prophets, the prophesied to you vain hopes. Okay, vain hopes, verse 16. So now we're going to go down. Verse 17, they say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. Or look at the King James Version on the left. Ye shall have peace. Ye shall have peace. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you or no evil shall come upon you. King James Version. This is talking about the covenant with death that Isaiah was talking about. So the vain hopes, we have peace, nothing, no evil. Whoops, I'll put that down here. Peace, no evil. So this, this is the covenant with death. This is what we need to look at. And and say, what on earth is going on here? And we're going to look at Isaiah to explore a little more thoroughly this idea in uh, chapter 28. So let's take a look here. Isaiah 28, verses 14 to 16. And this is from the Isaiah Institute translation done by Avraham Gileadi. So on the left here, we have the King James Version to compare it to. Here in the middle, we have the Isaiah Institute translation done from the Masoretic text. And we have the original Hebrew here from the Masoretic text on the right, just in case you can read that and speak that. You can make comparisons to double check uh, the word translations, etc. Therefore, Hear the word of Jehovah, you scoffers who preside over these people in Jerusalem. See that preside? Preside? So now we have to add that. Now we have to add this idea of those who preside. So if we're not making it clear enough, I ran out of room. So those who preside over my people in Jerusalem, which are the covenant people, you have supposed by taking refuge in deception and hiding behind falsehoods. So deception and falsehoods. To have covenanted with death. What on earth does that mean? You have to figure this out. Or reached an understanding with Sheol or hell that should a flooding scourge sweep through the earth, it shall not reach you. Flooding scourge Going through the earth, that is this, section 112, vengeance cometh speedily upon the inhabitants of the earth, day of wrath, burning, desolation, weeping, mourning, lamentation, and as a whirlwind, it comes upon the face of the earth. A whirlwind, this flooding scourge sweeping through the earth, and you thought it wouldn't reach you. Verse 16, therefore, thus says my Lord Jehovah, well, we'll stop there, verse 15. Uh, we, we'll probably come back a little bit more to 28 here. But this is the covenant with death. This is the covenant with death. So here, covenant with death, let us add that. So now they're trying to find false protection outside of the Lord. So that is these vain hopes that we're talking about, 
these vain hopes, thinking that, okay, nothing's going to happen. We are going to be all right. Well, not so. Not so. No disaster shall come upon you, you thought. Verse 17. Verse 18. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear his word? Or who has paid attention to his word and listened? So let's look here. To stand in the counsel of the Lord. Who among you has actually stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and hear his word? That phrase gives us a clue to what he means. But here we can check out additional translations. Uh, New International Version, stood in the counsel of the Lord, see or hear. The New Living Translation, have, have been in the Lord's presence. Have been in the Lord's presence to hear what he's really saying, to see and hear what he has to say. See that? Been in the Lord's presence. Most of them say counsel of the Lord. Counsel of the Lord, counsel of the Lord, counsel of the Lord. To see and hear his word, though. To see and hear his word or to stand in his presence. The Lord is talking about what a true prophet, shepherd, watchman is supposed supposed to experience. So here... There's these true watchmen, these true shepherds, these true servants have stood in the presence of the Lord. And that is what's going on in the parable of the redemption of Zion when the Lord of the vineyard says, you need to build a tower and get a watchman on top of it. Now that is not only for uh, the prophets who are set to preside over the people. As Moses said, it would to God that all of his people would be prophets because the gospel of Jesus Christ is meant to lead us into the Lord's presence in this life to see his face. And that is what the gospel is about. And that is the whole point of this is that they haven't been doing that. And we're going to see that over and over again. So who has done that? Verse 18, verse 19, behold, the storm of the Lord. There's that whirlwind that's coming, section 112 again. Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. Verse 20, the anger of the Lord, there it is again, will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart or the, his day of vengeance. In the latter days, you will understand it clearly. And then here it is. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. And did what they wanted. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. So here, this idea, does God allow the prophets to let his people astray? Well, Wilford Woodruff, he actually didn't use the term prophets. He said, the Lord won't allow me or anyone who stands as president of this church to lead his people astray. It's not in the program. But Jeremiah is pointing out here that the Lord does allow for it to happen. He does allow for it to happen. But then he says, Wilford says, if he does, he'd strike me out and take me out of my place immediately. He'd strike me down. So we need to look at that because the Lord says here he is going to come and take them out and replace them with new shepherds. He says he will. Well, but when? And that is what we need to look at. And we get a huge clue in... Third Nephi, 
We need to go to Third Nephi to understand this idea a little more thoroughly. So Third Nephi chapter 27, the disciples are discussing what do we call the name of this church? He says, Whatsoever ye shall do, ye shall do it in my name, therefore ye shall call the church in my name. And ye shall call upon the Father in my name, ye may bless the church for my sake, and how be it my church, save it be called in my name, for if it be a church, for a church be called in Moses' name, then it be Moses' church, or if it be called in the name of a man, then it be the church of a man or group of men. Church of the Latter-day Saints. Interesting. That's a connection to there. But if it be called in my name, then it is my church, if it so be that they are built upon my gospel. Verily I say unto you that ye are built upon my gospel, he confirms to them. Therefore you shall call whatsoever things ye do call in my name. Therefore if you call upon the Father for the church, if it be in my name, the Father will hear you. And if it so be that the church is built upon my gospel, then will the Father show forth his own works in it. But that's that's not where he ends. He gives us a huge clue in the next two verses. It's a huge but, and it's a huge woe, and it's what we need to look at. Okay? So, right here, verse 11 and verse 12, but if it be not built upon my gospel and is built upon the works of men or upon the works of the devil even, God forbid. Verily I say unto you that they have joy in their works for a season, and by and by the end cometh, the end cometh, and they are hewn down and cast into the fire, from whence there is no return. For their works do follow them, for it is because of their works that they are hewn down. Therefore remember the things that I have told you. So God says they'll have joy in their works for a season. For a season. So they'll have joy. They'll have a time, whatever a season is. I don't know. That's not left for me. He says, by and by. Here's something interesting. Jesus uses end time context here. By and by the end cometh and then hewn down and cast into the fire. Hewn down and cast into the fire. This is an end time context. End time context. So we have here. Hewn down, oops, need orange. Hewn down, cast into fire. So that's the same thing. End time context. Jesus is winking at the reader because Jesus knows. Jesus knows. The Book of Mormon came forth at the time of the restoration, right? This goes right into the parable of the redemption of Zion, where the vineyard is established, but then the vineyard is overrun by the enemy, and then later that enemy is called the wicked watchman, or watchmen who are the enemy. Uh, and we have this idea of, well, the Lord won't allow the prophets to lead them astray. Well, here in Jeremiah, he keeps saying the word prophets, but he's saying prophets that don't do what I tell them. I didn't send them. I didn't speak to them, yet they prophesied. So that's prophets with air quotes. So here we need to add this idea. These prophets, we need to put air quotes around them. Prophets with quotes, because Jeremiah is describing prophets that don't. Jesus says here, He's hinting at this idea that not being built upon my gospel, 
they're not teaching the new and everlasting covenant of offering up the sacrifice of a broken heart and a contrite spirit coming into my presence. That's not happening. It's not going to happen. And he's hinting that it would happen at some point. And then he says, but then the end comes. So they get their recompense. So we have that same idea here in Jeremiah 23. Uh, so I did not send the prophets. Verse 21. Now we continue. Verse 22. But if they had stood in my counsel or in my presence, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people and they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Interesting. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? And not a God far away. Do you, do you, am I, and which God am I? Am I a God you can access or am I a God you cannot access? Can a man hide himself in secret places so I can't see him? Declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth? Declares the Lord. I am very near, he's saying. 25, I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying I have dreamed, I have dreamed. So now we've had this idea of lies coming up a couple of times. We had it in Isaiah 28 the deception and the lies. So let us put that here. The lies and the deception. This is really important. He's building a long list. By the way, anything that we have on this side, we can put on the other side as opposite in green. I'm just writing down the things that these scriptures are talking about. So you can put telling the truth. Now, he does say here, they would have they would have prophesied my word. And that's that's an emphasis on my word, because he says they spoke their own words. Prophesied my word. If I would have spoke to them. Okay. I've heard what the prophets have said who prophesied lies in my name. And look at that. He's... The prophets of Jerusalem who prophesied lies, and then in my name, let us remember in section 112, verse 26, first among those among you who have professed to know my name and have not known me and have blasphemed against me in the midst of mine house. Mine house, in this context, are his people, not a building. In the midst of my people. So we have to add that. In the midst of my house. My house, my pasture, my vineyard. My house, my pasture, my vineyard. All the same thing. We have to add that here for the context so we understand my house. So vineyard, pasture, house. Blasphemed in the midst of mine house. This is bla- this is the blasphemy, according to Jeremiah. This is the blasphemy. Prophesied lies in my name. That's the blasphemy that he's talking about in section 112. And who are they? He says it's uh, these scoffers who preside over my people in Jerusalem. Who preside over my people? Who presides over the people? Who are the shepherds? Don't say Dustin said this. Don't say I said this. I'm reading Jeremiah. I'm reading Jesus' words in, in, in the Doctrine and Covenants. I'm reading Isaiah's words. I'm reading the word of the Lord. So, how about verse 26? 
How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name? Scroll down. Verse 27, forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat? Straw and wheat. Interesting, declares the Lord. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Is not my word like fire? So, with the lies and deception, he says, well, my word, like fire, like a hammer that breaks the rock, or that my voice that shakes the earth, that's the imagery he's talking about. Let's, uh, let's cross-reference. So, back to Isaiah. Chapter 49, verse 2, this is the voice of the end-time servant. The voice of this servant here that we talked about. Right here, Isaiah gives us some words. Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken ye people from far the Lord hath called me from the womb, from the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. By the way, a key to who he is before I even came into this world, my name was known. And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. So this is a true shepherd, remember? A true shepherd. I will replace these with true shepherds, and these true shepherds will speak the word of the Lord. They will prophesy my word. So now we have sword, fire, sword. See this? We have to be able to understand this. And then uh, it goes on. Well, that's enough right there. Now, interestingly enough, take a look at this. Nephi quotes this in 1 Nephi chapter 21. But there's a slight and subtle difference. Look at, look at the difference here in verse 1. Hearken, O ye house of Israel, all ye that are broken off and driven out because of the wickedness of the pastors of my people. Yea, all ye that are broken off, that are scattered abroad, who are of my people. Again, the pastors of my people. It's confirmed all over the place. We're going to keep seeing it everywhere. It's the same. Who are the pastors of my people? Why, 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 why would Wilford Woodruff say that? I don't know. I can't answer that question. Why would he say, Lord wouldn't let pastors of, over this people lead them astray? Because we're having all these prophecies saying that it would happen. And then as we look at it, we know that Isaiah and Jeremiah so far, were not just talking about the last days. They were also talking about their day and it was going on in their day. So it did happen before. And we're going to see Jesus talking about it in his day. So it has happened before, and it will happen again. Or maybe it's already happening, because if you believe we're in the end times, then that means it's already going on. So now we have Nephi giving us a little bit more context here. 
And also, Isaiah, help him paint this picture, these prophets, right? And now the word of God, my mouth is like a sharp sword. So Jeremiah is telling us, or the God's telling us through Jeremiah, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. And you're not doing that. Therefore, because you're not speaking my word, I'm against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from one another. So they're just quoting each other. They're stealing my words from one another. They're not They're not uh, getting it from me. Well, this is interesting. Let's look at Isaiah again. And this time we're going back to Isaiah Institute. uh, Verses 7 and 8 of Isaiah 28. These two have indulged in wine and are giddy with strong drink. Who? Well, you see the colon there. Priests and prophets have gone astray through liquor. They are intoxicated with wine and stagger because of strong drink. Ah, that's who. Priests and prophets. Priests and prophets. We already saw that in Jeremiah. Prophet and priest. Both prophet and priest are profane. Uh, They are intoxicated with wine and stagger because of strong drink. They err or go astray. They err as seers. They blunder in their decisions. And then here it is. For all tables are filled with vomit. No spot is without excrement. So vomit here, we have this concept. We have this concept of regurgitation. This concept of regurgitation. Who steal my words from one another, just quoting each other all the time. Okay. I saw that comment, Isaiah, beginning, middle, end of the Book of Mormon. Absolutely, I love that comment. Thank you. We need to cross-reference this, verse 30, with Isaiah 28, verse 8. All tables are filled with vomit. Regurgitation. They're just quoting each other all the time. They're not even speaking my word. They're just speaking each other's words all the time. What's going on here? So that's a, that is an important cross-reference. And then we have... Uh, continuing down here, that was verse 30. Let's move down. Behold, I'm against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare, declares the Lord, or thus saith the Lord. Behold, I'm against those who prophesy lying dreams and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and recklessness when I did not send them or charge them. I didn't give them the charge. Interesting. So they do not profit this, they do not profit this people at all, declares the Lord. Curious, when one of this people or a prophet or a priest asks you, what is the burden of the Lord, or in the uh, New American Standard, the oracle of the Lord, you shall say to them, you are the burden, and I will cast you off, declares the Lord. Interesting. Or what burden? And as for the, by the way, the burden of the Lord, the burden the Lord puts on the prophet's shoulders is the doctrine of Christ, how exactly to get back into his presence. That is the oracle of the Lord. That is the oracle of the Lord. So that is really important here. I will punish that man in his household. Thus shall you say everyone to his neighbor and everyone to his brother, what has the Lord answered? What has the Lord spoken? But the burden of the Lord you shall mention no more. You're not speaking the doctrine. For the burden is every man's own word. All, like Isaiah says, all we 
Isaiah 53, for all we like sheep have gone astray, every man or every one to his own way. His own way. Not talking about physically. So, own word, you pervert the words of the living God, the Lord of hosts, our God, verse 37. Thus you shall say to the prophet, what has the Lord answered you? Was the Lord spoken? But if you say the burden of the Lord, thus says the Lord, because you have said these words, the burden of the Lord, when I sent you saying, you shall not say the burden of the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will lift you up and cast you away from my presence, casting you out. You and the city that I gave to you and your fathers. There it is. And the city I gave to you and your fathers. Well, what's the last time? What's the end time context for that? And I will bring upon you everlasting reproach and perpetual shame, which shall not be forgotten. So, we have all this stuff here, and we've put this together from Jeremiah 23. Now we're going to make some connections. That was the whole chapter, so now we're going to make some connections from Jeremiah 23 into uh, some other stuff. Uh, we've already made some connections here to Isaiah. And uh, from Isaiah... Uh, we're also going to go to the New Testament, and they're also going to come back to Ezekiel and see how they confirm each other's words and how they amplify each other's words. What we need to understand, um, we read that the Jeremiah context end times because of not just verse 20, when he says in the last days, you'll, you'll consider it and understand it perfectly or clearly, but also the rest of the time with uh, the, the end time servant and the return to the house of Israel and all these other things that, that, that points to the end times. Well, Let's just remind ourselves for Isaiah that Isaiah is for the end times as well. And we have this here both in from Nephi and from Jesus Christ. Second Nephi 25 verse 7, Nephi says to us, But behold, I proceed with mine own prophecy according to my plainness in the which I know that no man can err or go astray. Nevertheless, in the days that the prophecies of Isaiah shall be fulfilled, men shall know of a surety at the times when they shall come to pass. Talking about the last days. Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure, because Jesus says so here in 3 Nephi 23, right at the beginning, Jesus says, And now, behold, I say unto you that ye ought to search these things. Yea, a commandment I give unto you, that ye search these things diligently, for great are the words of Isaiah. Jesus does not say that about other prophets' words, even though we're commanded to search all the words. He says, do this diligently with Isaiah, for surely he spake as touching all things concerning my people, which are of the house of Israel. Therefore, it must needs be that he must speak also to the Gentiles. This therefore tells us the definition of Gentiles as the Savior is using here. Since, since Isaiah spoke all things concerning my people, he has to speak concerning the Gentiles who are my people in the latter days. That's what he's saying. So when you read about Gentiles in the Book of Mormon, pay a close attention to the context because most of the time it's referring to those Gentiles who are of the Lord's people who have received the gospel. That's what he's talking about. Those are the Gentiles. So it's not just here. We're going to see that in a bunch of other places, and that's going to unlock a lot of understanding when we jump into some of these other places here um, in the Book of Mormon and in the New Testament. So verse 3, look at this. And all things that he spake have been and shall be, even according to the words which he spake. Even according to the words which he spake. 
they have been and shall be again. And notice, and notice this is already after Jesus' lifetime when a lot of people like to say when all these words of Isaiah were fulfilled. So anytime you're looking at Isaiah and you're like, oh, this happened and this was fulfilled during Jesus' lifetime. Well, well, yes and no. Jesus says, well, they're going to be fulfilled in the last days. So we got to understand that. So here we have a testimony from Nephi and from Jesus, and then also from Moroni, because Moroni also is talking to us about the last days and seeing all of us, and he tells us, he tells us, well, wait a second, all of you guys, I see you, I know you're doing, and you are not so guiltless you have your own issues and i'm and he tells us look at this so this is mormon chapter eight he's finishing up the record of his father he doesn't think he's going to last very much longer search the prophecies of isaiah i cannot write them so as he's finishing all this out he's like listen go there and look at it i see you guys i know you're doing i know what's going on you got to read this. You got to understand it. So there's the beginning, middle, end of the Book of Mormon. Emphasis on Isaiah, as was mentioned earlier. I love it. Absolutely love it. So here then, let's take a quick look at what we have. Uh, we're going to Matthew 23 next. And Matthew 23 gives us the same idea that happened during Jesus' time. And before we do that, check out this scripture from the Doctrine and Covenants, section 64. It's going to tie in everything, not just Jeremiah 23. It sums it up, but then it's going to sum up Matthew 23. It's going to sum up all this. Look at this. And liars and hypocrites shall be proved by them, and they who are not apostles and prophets shall be known. They who are not Apostles and prophets shall be known. Isn't that interesting? Because here we have the reference to the lying and the deception. And let's go back to our screen here. The lies and the deception, you see that? But now he adds the next word, which brings us to Matthew. Hypocrites. Or hypocrisy. This is really important. So this verse, this verse here, gets us to tie it all in. And let's go to Matthew 23 now. And here we have the New American Standard version next to the King James versions for reference. So then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves, interesting, seated themselves, in the chair of Moses, or they sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. Well, let's back up here for a second. They've seated themselves in Moses' seat. What is Moses' seat? Let's take a look. 
we have a little bit of reference here in section 107 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Take a look. Section 107, we get a definition from the Lord in the latter days to Joseph about what is uh, Moses' seat, or, or how can we understand it? Now, it it might seem obvious right at first, right? Uh, it might seem obvious what Moses' seat is. Moses obviously presided over the people, etc., etc. But let's at least take a reference here from the Doctrine and Covenants to solidify it uh, a little more plainly so that we cannot misunderstand. So section 107... Verse 91, 92, look at this. And again, the duty of the president of the office of high priesthood is to preside over the whole church and to be like unto Moses or to sit in Moses' seat. But then go on. Here is wisdom. Now, when the Lord says, when the Lord says here is wisdom, he's saying pay attention because I'm giving you a key of knowledge. I'm giving you a key of knowledge so that you can unlock greater understanding. And this, right now, we're unlocking the greater understanding that helps us understand Matthew 23, which helps us understand Jeremiah 23 and Isaiah, etc., etc. So here is wisdom. Yea, to be a seer, to be a revelator, to be a translator, to be a prophet, having all the gifts of God which he bestows upon the head of the church. So, that's the duty he says that as the duty of the presider. Now, that ties into Jeremiah when Jeremiah was saying all this time, you were supposed to do this, 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 and you didn't do it. And you were saying it, and all the time you were just saying your own dreams and saying your own words and stealing words from each other. But in section 107, we get, well, this is your duty. And it clarifies it really close, really simply in that closed two verses so that we can't misunderstand. So back to Matthew 23. They tie up heavy burdens, verse 4, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. So he's starting to lay out the hypocrisy. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. So interesting, now he's talking about the outer appearance. In this outer appearance, he's he's talking about the physical outer appearance. And the man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart, right? This outer appearance is also a metaphor, and, and we're going to see that metaphor as we get deeper into the chapter. And this is really important because we need to be able to discern. Because for me personally, let me just connect personally about 10, 10 or so years ago, 13 or so years ago, studying the New Testament, I think as part of um, uh, gospel doctrine study, it was the New Testament that year, and I think I was uh, called to be a, a Sunday school teacher. And as I'm studying the New Testament, as I'm reading these words, it hits me almost like a bolt of lightning that I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm the Pharisee. I'm the Pharisee. I'm the Pharisee. We're the Pharisees. I started to see it. It started to hit me. And uh, as, as Dr. Jordan Peterson would say, you're not really going to get, and I'm totally paraphrasing, I'm totally paraphrasing, forgive me if you, you know, know his quotes better than me, but, but as he says quite often, 
you're not really going to get anywhere with yourself, with your own self-enlightenment until you realize the monster that's inside of you. And that was the beginning of me awakening to the evil inside of me. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm the Pharisee. I'm the Pharisee. I'm the one judging like, you didn't wear your white shirt today. Oh, you did this, but you didn't, uh, <laughs> you didn't put on your phylacteries and lengthen your, your tassels. <laughs> that was me. I, but, and we all need to be able to do that. And that's important. But we also need to understand that I'm not sitting in Moses' seat. He is talking about a specific group of people. So you need to be able to apply this to yourself, just like Nephi said. And, and, and that helped me open my eyes. But you need to be able to see what Jesus is talking about and who he's talking about. You need to be able to. Okay. Um, moving on here. Let's move on. So they do their deeds to be noticed by men, verse 5. Now, verse 6, they love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues, the chief seats in the churches, the chief seats in all the big giant worship places, the chief seats, the high seats. The chief means high. The chief seats, so up there for everyone to see them. Got this big old crowd and everyone in the synagogue, everyone in the place of worship, and they get them all up there. We can look at them all and worship them. They love those seats. Interesting. Isn't that interesting? You think Jesus is only talking about his time? I'm going to show you that while Jesus is talking about his time, two chapters prior, Matthew shows us that he's not just talking about his time. Everything here in Matthew 23 is a parallel to what we just read in Jeremiah 23. He's describing the hypocrisy. He's describing the lying. He's describing the blaspheme in the midst of my house. He's talking about the midst of his house. They're in the midst of their house, the midst of his people here in Jerusalem. You have to understand this. So here we go, and I and we will, and it will bear out. I will show you as we go that Jesus is talking about now, today, at the end times, just as much as he was his day. Not just that. Oh, you could apply it. No, he's talking about it. He's describing it, and I'm going to prove that. All right, here we go. Verse seven, scrolling down. And respectful greetings. So they also like the respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men, being called master, being called teacher, being called, oh, wonderful guide. But do not be called rabbi. Do not be called master. For one is your teacher and you are all brothers. Let every man, let every man esteem his brother as himself. Uh, Jesus says to us, that is the commandment. But they love to be treated as the untouchables, the rabbi. They're the ones that can interpret the oracle of the Lord and the burden of the Lord. Tell me the burden of the Lord. Tell me the oracle. I can't understand it by myself. You're the master. You're the teacher. You tell me. And I can't be led astray, whatever you say. Well, if, if we do that, we're setting ourselves up like Nephi. Because Nephi says, you got to be careful not to do that. That takes us to 2 Nephi 28. Uh, in verse 31, the whole chapter is a parallel to Isaiah 28 and to all these other things. Nephi's talking to us. And so here's this idea. Cursed is the man that puts his trust in man or makes flesh his arm or his power or his safety net, his what he's trusting in, what he's leaning on. Or shall hearken unto the precepts of men 
but here's the key. Save their precepts shall be given by the power of the Holy Ghost. By the power of the Holy Ghost. Is not my word like fire? Is not my word like fire? Doesn't that burn you? Isn't that like a hammer that shakes the earth and shatters the rock? My mouth is like a sword. It pierces the heart. And it isn't just necessarily feel-goods. Because sometimes it's a feel-bad. Because it convicts you, like Nephi says. The truth convicts you if you are astray in any way. Or, as we look here, Nephi says, you get angry because the truth. We'll just scroll up just a little bit. Woe unto those who are angry because of the truth of God. Right? So, oh, sorry, I forgot to share this. Here we go. Verse 28. Woe unto all those who are angry because of the truth of God, because that truth pierces us. Right? So that's this connection here to verse 31. And that is so important. And we have all this here. Also, let's just scroll up to verse 21 real quick. He also says, Woe unto all those who say all is well in Zion. All is well in Zion. This is the same thing. Let's pull up our board. This is the same thing here. As the peace, all is well. So now we have peace, no evil. So I'm going to add it here. Peace, again, no evil shall come upon you, or all is well. Happy day, all is well. Look at that. So, so, so good. So, so, so good. So Nephi is telling us here so clearly What's going on? So verse 24, Therefore woe be unto him that that is at ease in Zion, or that feels at peace in Zion, is at ease. Woe be unto him that crieth, all is well. And woe be unto him that hearkens to the precepts of men and denies the power of God and the gift of the Holy Ghost. So again, verse 28, Woe. To those who tremble and are angry because of the truth of God. And look at the next part of the verse. For he that is built upon the rock receiveth it with gladness. And he that is built upon a sandy foundation trembleth lest he shall fall. That's what he means when he says cursed is he that puts his trust in man or in the precepts of man or makes flesh his arm, his might, his power. They love to be called rabbi. They love to be called the one that they're being looked to. Look to them to give us the word. That's what's going on here. So let's go back to Matthew 23. So a little bit of expanded context. So, but don't be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, even Christ. So interesting, that translation, the NAS, we don't get even Christ, but we over here on the left side, one is your teacher and master, even Christ, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ, or don't be called masters. He's really emphasizing this idea, stop it with the whole, oh, they're up here and we're down here and they're up here. We, we might pay a lot of lip service to that idea in modern days, but... You have to catch yourself and say, well, so-and-so said, so end of story. End of story, right? No, no, no. Don't do that. Don't do that. 
But here at verse 11, but the greatest among you shall be your servant. The greatest among you shall be your servant. So we had those servants in the in the parable of the redemption of Zion. And those servants, the shepherds, okay, right here. These servants, the shepherds, are also, we should also write servants. We're expanding this. So it says, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Interesting, because Jesus is giving us a hint to who this Davidic end-time servant is. Because it says, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, because that's what these leaders are doing. They're exalting themselves. And whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. This is a hint and a clue to understand more about this uh, end-time servant. So now we go to verse 13. <clears throat> but woe to you. So now we're getting into the hypocrisy. He's he's described the hypocrisy. He's described the hypocrisy. And now he's going to lay into it. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. For you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Here are some clues. Here are some clues. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. This is talking about getting into the Lord's presence again. This is talking about the purpose of the fullness of the gospel. This is talking about what Jeremiah talked about. If you had stood in my presence, but you wouldn't stand in my presence. And here we have this idea. Let's add it. Oh, yeah, presence of the Lord. Right here on the right-hand side. But you won't go into the presence of the Lord. Guess what? So the king, that's, so kingdom of heaven, they won't go in. And that's, and that's not only their problem, they're blocking, they're blocking everybody else. They're blocking everybody else. They can't go in. They can't make it. So this is in direct tie to the Lord's presence. And the Lord's presence is really important to understand because we have to remember that we had Moses' seat, right? And Moses' duty. And, and Jesus said, well, you guys are seating yourselves in Moses' seat and declaring that, you know, you're trying to lead this people, same as Moses. But uh, we have a problem with that because when we understand what Moses did, and let's take a look here. We understand what Moses did. Then we'll be like, wait a minute. This is how they're blocking the kingdom of heaven. So Doctrine and Covenants section 84 will go down to 23 and 24. Now this Moses plainly taught to the children of Israel in the wilderness. What? He sought to sanctify, diligently to sanctify his people, that they might behold the face of God. That they might behold the face of God. Do you believe me now? Jeremiah was talking about that. The counsel of the Lord is to see his face, to stand in his presence. And Jesus is saying, you're sitting in Moses' seat, but you won't go into the kingdom of heaven. You won't stand in 
in the counsel of the Lord to see and hear his word. You won't. And you're blocking it from everyone else. You won't let anyone else go do it. Let's, let's continue. And sought diligently to sanctify his people that they might behold the face of God, but they hardened their hearts and could not endure his presence. Therefore, the Lord in his wrath, for his anger was kindled against them, swore that they should not enter into his rest or his presence while in the wilderness, while in their lives, which rest is the fullness of his glory. So this is the context. We don't have time to get into that. We have lots of other podcast episodes to go into that. But to see the Lord in his presence, in the fullness of his glory, it's not enough just to see Jesus Christ in vision, or it's not enough to have Jesus Christ appear to you on this earth, because that's not what that's talking about. It's not talking about that. It's talking about a different experience. So as we're coming back here, to Matthew 23, and we're saying, but is he talking about today? Well, we already had the hint from section 64. Liars and hypocrites being two of the key words. The liars was all up and down Jeremiah 23. We already saw it in Isaiah a little bit. And hypocrites shall be proved by them. So here we have this charge from Jesus saying, you won't go into the kingdom of heaven. And you block it and don't let anyone else go in. And supposedly these are the people that are leading the Lord's people. Well, this is the exact same thing that happened uh, when uh, Abinadi, yeah, I forgot his name for a second. When Abinadi shows up. And he teaches this idea to the people. King Noah and his priests, they're leading the people. And he says, you guys are supposed to be teaching the Ten Commandments. You're not even teaching that. And then he goes over and gives the discourse of the Ten Commandments. And then it's like, wait a second. So you guys aren't you guys aren't uh, doing this. How do you think people are saved? Do you think the law of Moses saves them? And they're like, yeah, the law of Moses saves them. And he's like, uh, no, Jesus Christ saves them. So let's take a look at this. Look at this. Now, Benedict said unto them, are you priests and pretend to teach this people? Pretend hypocrisy, pretend to teach this people and understand the spirit of prophesying and yet desire to know of me what these things mean. I say unto you, woe be unto you for perverting the ways of the Lord. For if ye understand these things, ye have not taught them. Therefore, you have perverted the ways of the Lord. That's how you pervert the ways of the Lord. You have not applied your hearts to understanding. Therefore, you have not been wise. Therefore, what teach ye this people? And they said, we teach the law of Moses. And he said, if you teach the law of Moses, why do you not keep it? Why do you set your hearts upon riches? There's the richems. Whoredoms. Look at that. Commit. You cause this people to commit sin. And you cause me to come and prophesy against this people. It's the same thing. It's the It's a perfect parallel of what's going on here uh, with Jesus Christ and the Pharisees in his time. So this chapter gets richer and richer. So that was verse 13. Let's continue. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses. And for a pretense, you make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive, you will receive greater condemnation because they're the ones who are supposed to be in charge. Okay? So look at this. Devour widows' houses. They devour widows' houses. So we are going to look at some interesting cross-references from Isaiah and 
from Nephi, and from Moroni. We got a bunch here. Going back to going back to Second Nephi twenty eight. So this time we're going to Isaiah three. Verses 6, or sorry, verses Isaiah 3, verses 12 to 15. As for my people, babes, excuse me, as for my people, babes, subject, subject them, women wield authority over them. Oh, my people, your leaders, there it is, your leaders mislead you, abolishing your traditional ways or the way of thy paths received from King James. Jehovah will take a stand and contend with them. Contend with them. I am against the prophets we've already read. I'm against the prophets, he said, Jeremiah. And we're going to see more times. I'm against the prophets who lead my people. I will stand and contend with them. He has arisen to judge the nations. Verse 14. He will bring to trial the elders of his people. The elders and their rulers, and say to them, it is you who have devoured the vineyard. Ah, now we have that vineyard reference again. Fill your houses by depriving the needy. And look at this. What do you mean by oppressing my people, humbling the faces of the poor, or we have in the King James Version, grind the faces of the poor. See that? Jesus is talking about that here. And 2 Nephi 28, talking about the same thing. Yea, they have all gone out of the way. They have become corrupted because of pride and because of false teachers, false doctrine. Their churches have become corrupted. Their churches, their churches. The use of the word churches here is the as the Lord's house. The Lord's house. Or like or like uh John in Revelation says churches, talking about the various uh, congregations of the Lord's people. So not congregations of all these random other other sects. Uh that that's not the uh that's not the context. Okay. So their churches have become corrupted and their churches are lifted up because of pride. They are puffed up. They rob the poor because of their fine sanctuaries. They rob the poor because of their fine sanctuaries. That means all the money from the poor is going to build the fine sanctuaries. And then look at this. They rob the poor because of their fine clothing. And they persecute the meek and the poor in heart because in the pride, in their pride, they are puffed up, Nephi says. Big warning. Let's look at um, Moroni again, Moroni 8. For behold, ye do love money and your substance and your fine apparel and the adorning of your churches. See? Ye do love money, substance, Apparel, your clothing, same things that Jesus said. Jesus was painting the picture here in Matthew 23 for the end times because clearly Moroni, Moroni has no one to talk to. So you want to make excuses and say Moroni was talking to his people or talking to Baloney. He had no one else to talk to except the reader in the last days. And he's and so he's exactly quoting the same thing Jesus said. And and look at this. More than you, um, more than you love the poor and the needy, the sick and the afflicted, and then here it is again, just in case you didn't catch it. Oh, ye pollutions, ye hypocrites, ye teachers, ye masters, ye who call yourselves rabbi, who sell yourselves for that which canker. Why have ye polluted the holy church of God? There it is again. Who is he talking to? Who is he talking to? 
Why have you polluted the Holy Church of God? The Holy Church of God, those who consider themselves Lord's people, those that would have this book. Hmm? So don't say that I'm saying it. And don't say, what are you trying to say, Dustin? What are you trying to say? What is Moroni trying to say? What is Jesus trying to say? What is Nephi and Isaiah trying to say? What is Jeremiah trying to say? What are they trying to say? People say to me all the time, what are you trying to say? I'm like, don't give me that. Read the scriptures and pray about it. Try and make these connections. I'm trying to help you here as best I can. Look at this. The Holy Church of God, why are ye ashamed to take upon you the name of Christ? Why do you not think that which is greater value and endless happiness than that is than that misery which never dies because of the praise of the world? Why do you adorn yourselves with that which hath no life and yet suffer the hungry and the needy and the naked and the sick and afflicted to pass by you and not notice them? Yea, why do you build up, here it is, your secret abominations to get gain? So now we dropped a big bomb. Boom, you're also doing secret abominations. That's how they've polluted the Holy Church of God? Those who lead and preside over my people here in Jerusalem? The Latter-day Jerusalem? So crazy. You need to pay attention to this. And cause that widows should mourn. There it is again. Widows mourning before the Lord and also orphans to mourn before the Lord and also the blood of their fathers and their husbands to cry to the Lord from the ground for vengeance upon your heads. Vengeance. Behold, vengeance cometh speedily upon inhabitants of the earth. There's that vengeance. The day of the Lord. Behold, here it is, the sword of vengeance hangeth over you, and the time soon cometh that he avengeth, avengeth the blood of the saints upon you, for he will not suffer their cries any longer. So, that can, brings us right back to Matthew 23. Let's scroll down. Uh, we are... That was verse 14, devouring widows' houses. So now verse 15, another woe. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land. You go all over the place. You, you compass sea and land, King James, to make one proselyte or convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. So Jesus is saying, you are sons of hell. And you're, and you're making your converts even worse. And that's pretty crazy. So here, next verse, what do you blind guides? The guides. So let's add that to our list here, guides. Because these are words that really help us understand now we know they're blind, as he makes reference. <clears throat> blind guides who say whoever whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold temple is obligated. So here he's talking about this idea, you totally missed the mark. You're putting uh, you're putting up the wrong things and putting down the wrong things. Uh, I'm going to skip ahead to verse 19. You blind men, again blind, what's more important? The offering, the altar that sanctifies the altar, uh, sanctifies the offering. Um, and skip to verse 22. 
And whoever swears by heaven swears both by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. So verse 23, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, which are justice and mercy and faithfulness. Or faith, King James. But these are the things that you should have done without neglecting the others. So he's saying, look, the letter of the law, you're still supposed to keep. As I told you to do that. But you're supposed to have justice and mercy and faithfulness. And one of the main grievances of that is robbing the poor, grinding the face of the poor. Not just not just the poor temporally, but also the, the poor in heart, the poor in spirit. Those who are offering up a sacrifice of a broken heart and a contrite spirit. See? So here, you blind guides strain out at a gnat or strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. So here, he's starting to do more of the metaphor of the outside, because earlier he said, look, you love putting on your great garb and everything, and uh, Nephi and Moroni both reiterated that, like, oh, I'm wearing my white shirt and tie, so I look righteous. And I'm only saying that because I did that all the time, and I definitely see it happen a lot, but I'll just talk about myself. Because that was me. And uh, that is turning into metaphor for the outside, the outer appearance in general. And here we have some great metaphor usage. Clean the outside of the cup of the and, and of the dish, but inside full of robbery and self-indulgence or extortion and excess. I love that. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup. Clean the inner man and of the dish, so that the outside of it may become clean also. Woe to scribes and Pharisees. Here is verse 27. Hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too, here is the summary, so you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Okay? So this needs to tie in to an important verse from the Sermon on the Mount. Because Jesus is setting up, with that summary, he's setting up a tie-in to a principle that, that Matthew included earlier. So this law of context... This law of context is really important because this is all from the book of Matthew. And Matthew, he didn't write chapters. He wrote the book of Matthew. It's just one thing. And he's teaching this message. And we have the Sermon on the Mount here in Matthew. And from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 14, or excuse me, uh, 7, 15. Here it is. Matthew 7.15, we have the famous phrase, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. So right here, Matthew is telling us these words from Jesus Christ that puts this in proper context. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. So. This idea 
of, okay, we have these prophets that are, that are these random false prophets, right? You got you got the the Korhor and the Nehor and the and the Sherem type types from the Book of Mormon that come from the outside, and and they pluck off some people, maybe hundreds by the hundreds, even by the thousands. But that's not the context that we're reading here, because the Book of Mormon also tells us of prophets who come from the outside, and so does the Bible. We have Jeremiah from the outside. We have Jesus, John the Baptist, from the outside. We have Abinadi from the outside. We have Samuel the Lamanite from the outside. We have so many important examples, including Jesus Christ himself. They come from the outside. So we cannot tell ourselves that they're going to come all these false guys that uh, aren't even part of the Lord's people, that aren't in the pasture. No, Jesus is saying, you are these people. In Matthew 23, he's saying, this is you. This is you. Because the sheep's clothing, the sheep's clothing is white. The outside of this, uh, adorning the outside of these tombs, right? These sequ- these um, these whitewashed tombs, as he says here in Matthew 23, whitewashed tombs, the whiteness, the white, the sheep's clothing. Well, so what is sheep's clothing made out of? Right? What is sheep's clothing made out of? This is important because we have this awesome parallel here. Now we're going to Ezekiel 34, right at the beginning. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. There it is again. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep or feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones. You do not feed the sheep. Right there, there's the link. There's the link. So let us go back and add this idea. So these are the ones, these are the ones wearing the sheep's clothing. And right here in Matthew 23, verse 28. So you also on the outside appear righteous. On the outside appear righteous. What does this mean? On the outside appear righteous. This is important. Okay, so sheep's clothing. So we have appear righteous. They appear righteous. This the sheep's clothing. It means they they're not de- they're not easily detectable. It's very hard to detect them. We got a key from Nephi and from Jeremiah and from Isaiah that they're not speaking by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost, which means they're not speaking the word of God. So that is a key. So that means you've got to be able to understand. Because they appear righteous. It all looks fabulous. The whitewashed tomb, the polished cup and the dish and the clothes and everything looks perfect. It looks perfect. It's on the inside where you can't see. Where you can't see, meaning it's not noticeable. So if it's immediately obvious and noticeable to you, then that's not the ones that he's talking about. Okay? So, let's continue here. So you have, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, 
For you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Well, first of all, first of all, right here, so that's verse 29, verse 30, this idea of paying the lip service to the prophets that came before us. Okay, the lip service of the prophets came before us. Okay, let's, yes, they were great. Here we go, adorning their tombs. Let's, let's, let's give praise. Let's give hail to these wonderful prophets of the past. Okay, fine and dandy. But look at this. You're claiming that, oh, we wouldn't have murdered them if we'd lived in those times. Well, Jesus says, uh, yes, you would have. You testify, verse 31, against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. Fill up then the cup. When the cup is full, then the wrath pours out. We see that in the Book of Mormon all the time. So you serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? Therefore behold, listen to this. Therefore behold, I'm sending you, verse 34, I'm sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. I'm sending you. That was this over here. I'm sending you shepherds. But, he says, you're not going to receive them. You're going to kill some and crucify and some you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute city to city. Um, let's see. Verse 36, let's skip down. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say unto you from now on, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So here at the end of the chapter, at the end of chapter 23, he starts to actually tie into the end time context. And we're going to go back to Matthew chapter 21 to prove that. But notice, um, he says, from now on, you won't see me until I come again. And then we have chapter 24 of Matthew. That's the famous Matthew 24. We have the Joseph Smith Matthew translation uh, in our included in our Pearl of Great Price or in the uh, inspired version of the Bible. You can read the whole thing there. And the whole chapter of Matthew is about the second coming. Matthew is the one that's setting this up. The four Gospels all read differently. So... Even though we're reading the words of the Savior here, Matthew's the one telling this story and setting this up. And he is putting it just so precisely so that we get it. He wants us to get it. He wants us to get it. Well, to prove the end time context, we're gonna we just looked here. We just looked here at Ezekiel 34. We're gonna come back to that. There are a few more verses there. But first, I want, we want to prove that Jesus, in Matthew 23, is talking about the end time context when he's talking about all these Pharisees, that it applies for the end times. We want to take a look at that. So, let's pull up Matthew 21. And we're... Scrolling down. The whole chapter is fantastic. However, we're just going to look at a couple spots here. So we're going to start just to read a little bit about the fig tree. In the morning when he's returned to the city, he became hungry, seeing a lone fig tree by the road. He came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. 
So it was the appearance of a fig tree. And he said to it, no longer shall there be any fruit from you. And once at once the fig tree withered and his disciples marveled and said, wow. Uh, now let's skip. Uh, we're going to come back to that. We need to, we need to read that so we can come back to it later and make reference to the fig tree with leaves, but no fruit. So then he has some inter- exchange with the Pharisees. So we're going to jump into that in a minute. So now we have, while this exchange with the Pharisees, he starts going into a couple of parables. So now we're going to start at verse 28. This is Matthew 21. But what do you think, Jesus says to them, a man had two sons, and he came to first and said, son, go work today in the vineyard. And he said, I won't, but afterwards regretted it and went. The man came to the second and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir, but he didn't go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. And then he, then he makes the connection to them. Truly I say to you that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. Before you. He's talking to the chief priests and the scribes. The chief priests and the scribes. Now the chief priests, when you see chief priests, that's the high priests. Okay? So that's here just a few verses above in verse 23. When he entered the temple, the chief priests... And the elders of the people, okay? So the chief priests are the high priests. And that is to help give some context so you know uh, who they are amongst the people, right? Who, who they are. So we have this idea that that the high priests, like, well, it's sometimes it's hard to wrap your brain around it. You're like, wait, why would they, why would they be like this? Let's remember... Uh, Nicodemus. So in John chapter 3, this is for context about these um, high priests and the elders of the people. John chapter 3, for context, this is when Nicodemus comes to him and says, okay, I know that you've got to be sent from God because only someone sent from God could teach like you teach and do what you do and do all these miracles. And so then Jesus starts talking to him about being born again, experiencing that conversion is the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost that sanctifies the person so they can get on the path that leads to beholding the face of God, as we heard earlier. But Nicodemus doesn't understand it, and they go back and forth. And then verse 10, after he doesn't get it, Jesus answered him and says, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? And the King James, we see a master of Israel. A master or the teacher, Nicodemus was one of the top guys that taught the law and the doctrine. One of the top. One of the top. You make the connection. He's like, and you didn't you didn't understand this. Why? How is it you don't understand this? And that's what Abinadi, that's what Abinadi was saying. How do you guys not understand this? You're pretending to teach these people, but you're just pretending. You're pretending. The pretense. Oh goodness. It's it's a marvel. So, back to Matthew 21. So, we have that context. Now, we're in the middle of, we just read, tax collectors and prostitutes get into the kingdom before you. Verse 32, for John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him, but the tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. And you, seeing this, didn't even feel remorse afterwards so as to believe him. Listen to another parable. Uh, I'm going to read the King James now on the left for this parable. So it starts verse 33. Here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard. There it is again. 
and hedged it roundabout. So now we're going to make a connection to uh, section 101, the parable of redemption of Zion. And we have digged a wine press in it, built a tower, and let it, look at that, built a tower, and let it out to husbandmen and went into far country. Okay, so now we have husbandmen, which are, are, are the caretakers in the vineyard. So we need to add this. We need to add this here, the husbandmen, because the husbandmen are really important. So we're out of room there. We'll add them here. Husbandmen, caretakers, preside. Well, I guess it'd be good to put them here. Wicked watchmen, shepherds. So now we have the enemy, the wicked watchmen upon the tower, husbandmen who are overseeing uh, this vineyard, uh, the shepherds who oversee the flock. Now we have the prophets who preside over this people, or the guides. Who? So we have the those who preside. Then we have the guides, the blind guides, and they're in sheep's clothing. Interesting. Okay, so let's continue with the parable. And built a tower, went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. Interesting. So now he's going to pit servants against the husbandmen, which is really curious. And the husbandman took his servants and beat one, killed another, stoned another, and he sent other servants more than the first. They did the same. They did the same. Uh, but last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, "They will reverence my son." Let's scroll down. But when the husbandman saw the son, they said among themselves, "This is the heir. Come, let us kill him." and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. When the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? They say unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men. Ah, aha, look at that. So uh, confirmation that these husbandmen are wicked, just like the wicked watchmen. Miserably destroy those wicked men. Now, Conversely, conversely, we have, he keeps sending his servants. Now, interestingly, as we're reading these chapters, you get the sense from the word of the Lord that he's like, I gave to you to be servants and you weren't being servants. You're being derelict in your duty, right? Seated themselves in the chair of Moses, but not doing the duty of Moses, like we read in section 107. Really? Really important there. So what will he do to him? He'll miserably destroy them. And look at this. And will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. So now he's not just sending them servants. He's now going to assign other husbandmen. Other husbandmen. So that ties into here. Other shepherds. Other servants. Other husbandmen. Like that? Other husbandmen. And then and then to continue, he says, Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The stone, the same, is become the head of the corner. So he's the head of the corner of the pyramid. That stone, the stone that's the head of the corner 
of the top of the pyramid. So Jesus is comparing himself to that so you can get this imagery. Therefore, I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall it will grind into powder. And then look at this. And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard his parables, he perceived that he spake of them. So these parables are confirmed. Are confirmed. He's speaking of them. These husbandmen. Same people. Same people that we have on this list. The guides. Those who preside over Jerusalem. Because they're convicted in their hearts. And Matthew's making sure to tell us. Matthew's making sure to tell us, and we have some additional insight through the inspired version of the Bible, through the Joseph Smith translation. We have a little bit of uh, clarification for the JST Matthew 21. Let's pull that up. So we're going to lead up. So verse 47, that's right where we left off. And when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived he spake of them, and they said among themselves, Shall this man think he alone can spoil this great kingdom? And they were angry with him. Let's skip down. Verse 50. And now his disciples came to him, and Jesus said unto them, Marvel ye at the words of the parable which I spake unto them? Meaning, meaning, you're not are you not getting it? Because they weren't they weren't quite getting it either. So so we can't judge so quickly and say, oh, this is so easy. So get it. It's like, no, they didn't get it. Uh, so why didn't they get it? Because maybe we don't get it either. So ask yourself, are there some traditions or some precepts, some ideas, some concepts anchored in my mind that I'm latched to that I won't let go of? Because Jesus had that issue with the apostles even. And they weren't getting it. And we might not be getting it either. Verily, I say unto you, I am the stone, and those wicked ones reject me. So now he's making that connection with all of those parables. It's like, so I'm the stone, and those wicked ones reject me. So now he's, again, calling them wicked. I am the head of the corner. These Jews shall fall upon me and shall be broken, and the kingdom of God shall be taken from them. Okay? Taken from them and given... To a nation bringing forth the fruits, meaning the Gentiles. Wherefore, on whomsoever the stone shall fall, it shall grind him to powder. It's so curious because he said the Jews will fall upon the stone and be broken. But this stone will also fall upon this next group and break them. And we're, and, and how do we know that's what that means? Well, we see that in the next two verses. And when the Lord, therefore, the vineyard cometh, that stone falling, he will destroy those miserable wicked men. So wait a minute. We already had, in uh, right after the parable, talking about the Jesus' day, Pharisees and the Jews, after they killed their son, what's he going to do? Oh, well, he's going to come and destroy those, miserably destroy those wicked men. Well, they were destroyed in 70 AD. But now we have several verses later, and he repeats his words. This is Matthew trying to make sure that we understand that what he just said about them repeats exactly again. What he just said about them repeats exactly again for the end times. And we know it's the end times because he says, When therefore the Lord of the vineyard cometh, 
He will destroy those, the end time, miserable, wicked men. So now we have miserable. I couldn't wait to add that word. Miserable, wicked. I even left a space on accident. Miserable, wicked men. But this is end time context. And look at this, just to just to reiterate, and will let again his vineyard unto other husbandmen, even in the last days. Even in the last days, who shall render him the fruits in their seasons. And then understood they the parable which he spake. So then they got it. Now, this is your chance to get it. And then understood they the parable that the Gentiles, those Gentiles who received the gospel, the Gentiles that we talked about, in Third Nephi twenty-three, in Third Nephi twenty-three, he said, "Isaiah spake concerning all of my people." Therefore, that means he spake concerning the Gentiles. Well, which Gentiles are the Lord's covenant people? The Latter Day Saints. The Latter Day Saints. So, right here, it's the same connection: the Gentiles to who to whom the kingdom of heaven was given. Right here in verse fifty-three. So the Gentiles should be destroyed also, verse 56, when the Lord should descend out of heaven to reign in his vineyard, which is the earth and the inhabitants thereof. So descend out of heaven, when he should descend, he's not talking about when he literally comes out of heaven. He's talking about this day of judgment, the great day of the Lord. That's part of the time of the second coming of the Lord. And we have that connection right here. It's like, wait a minute, he'll destroy the Latter-day Saints? Well, vengeance cometh speedily, a day of wrath, burning, desolation, weeping, mourning, lamentation, as a whirlwind it comes upon the face of the earth, but it begins on my house. It begins with my people. First among you who have professed to know my name have not known me. And when he says known me, he's talking about the definition of eternal life, to know God and Jesus Christ, which means to enter into their presence. You haven't known me, and you've blasphemed against me in the midst of my house. That is exactly what this is talking about here in Matthew 21. And the and the JST needs to be linked to those references so that we can understand who he's talking about, so that we can finally make the connection and get it in the same way that then, then understood they the parable which he spake unto them. Then they understood, then they got it. Now we need to get it. So that's Matthew 21. And that proves that it's the end time context because he parallels the miserable wicked men of his time to those miserable wicked men at the end times, which means if you want to understand the miserable wicked men of Jesus' time, read Matthew 23, which is what we just did. Now apply it to the end. Now we can apply it to the end. So... We've proved that. Now let's go back to Ezekiel. We have 34. We read uh, the first few verses here. But let's start in verse 4, where we left off. We sa- So we said, verse 3, You clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the fat ones, but you don't feed the sheep. You're not feeding the sheep. We already read that. In fact, I don't think we added that here. Not tending, not feeding. They're not tending the flock. They're not feeding the flock. Okay. 
Verse four, the weak you have not strengthened. So this is how you feed them. So now it's taking that metaphor, making it more, uh, more obvious. The weak you've not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured, interesting, the sick you've not healed. By what authority do you do these things? The injured you've not bound up, the strayed you've not brought back. You've not brought back those who have strayed and gone, gone away and left. The lost you have not sought. Interesting. And with force and harshness you have ruled over them. Wow. So, verse 5, so they were scattered. Because there was no shepherd. Wait, but he just called them shepherds. That's why I'm saying it's with it's with quotation marks. That's how you can tell it's with quotation marks. Woe to the shepherds who lead these people. There was no shepherd. You weren't a true shepherd. So the quotation marks are a real thing. So when you're talking about this, say, well, it's with quotation marks. And these are the these are the moments that prove it right here. So we have shepherds, so we have prophets with quotation marks from Jeremiah 23. Now we have shepherds with quotation marks. Add them here. Not true shepherds. And it's proven here because there was no shepherds, verse 5. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains on every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, so you quote-unquote shepherds, right? You shepherds. Hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep. So interesting, because there was no true shepherd and because my shepherds haven't searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds hear the true word of the Lord. Here it comes. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherd. So now we've had this idea come up a couple of times. Contend from Isaiah. So here we have destroy. Well, I guess I need to put it in the other column, huh? So we have Isaiah said contend with. And now we have against the shepherds. And we got to put the quotes around them. And then we also need to add, oh, the end time context was when the Lord cometh. So we had the end time, end time context again, see? He will destroy them. Can't forget that. Okay, now that we've added that, let's go on. So it says, I'm against them, verse 10, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. I will require my sheep at their hand, meaning I'll hold them accountable and responsible. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. I will search my sheep and seek them out. So you say, okay, but Dustin, uh, does Ezekiel apply to the last days? We've applied Jeremiah to the last days. We've seen that. Um, how do we know that Ezekiel's talking about the last days? Because Ezekiel lived during a time when there were false shepherds among uh, Israel. And that's absolutely true. So let's take a look at that. Let's see what God says in Doctrine and Covenants. Because Jesus tells us that these words are true. Uh, DNC section 29 
And the Lord tells us that Ezekiel is going to happen in the last days. So Ezekiel 29, verse 20. Or, uh, the Doctrine and Covenants, section 29, verse 20. Or it's 21, excuse me. I put the wrong one there. It's 21. And the great and abominable church, which is the whore of all the earth, shall be cast down by devouring fire. Now, the great and abominable church, we Nephi tells us about that. Cast down by devouring fire. There's the hewn down and cast into the fire again. According as it is spoken by the mouth of Ezekiel, the prophet who spoke of these things, which have not come to pass, but surely must, as I live, for abominations shall not reign. The secret abominations that Moroni told us. Secret abominations, which we did forget. So now we've got secret abominations, and he says abominations shall not reign. So the Lord makes reference to him again. And now we have, interesting, the great and abominable church. The great and abominable church, as spoken of by Ezekiel. Shall be. So that's our end time context, as spoken of by Ezekiel. In case you don't want to believe it. In case you don't want to believe it, as spoken of by Ezekiel, it's right there. And that's not that's not the only thing. There's a lot more from Ezekiel. And that's why the Lord says, as spoken by the mouth of Ezekiel, we have a lot more references here. So let's jump to Ezekiel chapter 13, the first 16 verses. We're going to see another example of this. So Ezekiel 13, verses 1 to 16. And then after that, we're going to see a couple more uh, in Ezekiel as well. So here we go. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are prophesying and say to those who prophesy from their own hearts, hear the word of the Lord. See, look at that. So the prophets of Israel tells us back to prophets, not just shepherds, prophets of Israel. Which prophets of Israel who prophesy from their own hearts? There's the quotation marks. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says Lord God, woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Your prophets have been like jackals among ruins O Israel, like jackals. Now, over here in the King James, we have like foxes in the deserts. Some translations say jackals, and that immediately ties to Isaiah again. The jackals. Now, some of the translations you see here say foxes, some say jackals. As you just scroll through, jackals, 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 foxes, 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 some jackals, some foxes, as you see these different translations. Um, but as we look in Isaiah, Isaiah talks about these jackals in Isaiah 13, verse 22. Right towards the end of the chapter. Jackals will cry out from its palaces. The, 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 these are This is the destroyed cities. And now it's filled with wild beasts. Now, in the King James, it says wild beasts. 
and it says in their desolate houses. So, so the King James helps us right there to remember what context this is when they're all destroyed. Howling creatures from its amusement halls, her time draws near, Babylon's days shall not be prolonged. Babylon, interesting. So, right here in 13, your prophets have been like the jackals. So, wow. You have not gone up into the breaches or built up a wall for the house of Israel. That wall that was already mentioned, that hedge of protection around the vineyard to protect it that got broken down that we read, right? Uh they have seen false visions and lying divinations. There's the lying again. They say, declares the Lord, or thus saith the Lord, when the Lord hasn't sent them, yet they expect him to fulfill their word. Have you not seen a false vision and uttered a lying divination? Whenever you have said, declares the Lord, although I have not spoken, therefore thus says the Lord, because you have uttered falsehood and seeing lying visions, therefore behold, I'm against you. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions. They shall not be in the council of my people, nor be enrolled to register the house of Israel. Interesting. So he's saying he's going to take them. He's going to he's going to take them from. He's talking. He's like they won't be. They won't continue among you. So he's talking about removing them out of their place. Right. That is exactly what he's talking about. Precisely because they've misled my people, saying peace. There's the peace again. When there is no peace, there's the peace again. There it is. All is well, saying peace, but there's no peace because destruction's coming. Destruction's imminent. So why are you saying that? Because look at this. When the people build a wall, these prophets smear it with whitewash. Or look at here on the left side. When they went to build a wall, that protective wall, others daubed it with untempered mortar. So on the King James now, on the left side, saying to them, which daub it with untempered mortar, you're, you're it's going to fall. It shall fall. There shall be an overflowing shower. That's the overflowing scourge we read about. The overflowing scourge right here, section 112 that we had. And ye, O great hailstones, the great storm that we just read, shall fall and a stormy wind shall rend it. So, And when the wall is fallen, it shall not be said unto you, where is the daubing wherewith ye have daubed it? Therefore, thus saith the Lord, I will even rend it with a stormy wind in my fury. So it's talking about this great storm that's coming, which is the destruction uh, done by the king of Assyria, the king of Babylon, as Isaiah says, which is the Antichrist, the end of the world, done by him when the wall's fallen. Uh, well, where it's, what's, where's all the stuff that you did? Where's all the daubing that you put on it? So what about everything that you said? No, it didn't stand. Therefore, thus says the Lord. Uh, so, so it's saying the wall that you're putting up for protection, that's that covenant with death that we were talking about. That's the covenant with death. It's a fake wall or a crappy wall. That's what that's what Ezekiel's talking about right here. Same thing. Cuz you said there's going to nothing's going to come upon you no evil. But yeah, your wall's going to fall when it comes. Verse 13, I'll rend it. My stormy wind in my fury, vengeance, and there shall be an overflowing shower of mine anger. There's the anger again, great hailstones. So will I break down the wall that ye have daubed with untempered border, bring it down to the ground, so that the foundation thereof will be discovered. Will be discovered, the foundation. That foundation, so what's underneath it? Meaning the ravening wolves underneath, the dead men's bones underneath. The foundation, that which set this thing up, it will be discovered finally, it will be seen, and people will know. 
and you'll be consumed in the midst thereof. Look at that. And ye shall know that I'm the Lord. Thus will I accomplish my wrath upon the wall. The wall is no more. To wit, verse 16, the prophets of Israel, which prophesy concerning Jerusalem and which see visions of peace for her, and there is no peace, saith the Lord. Ah, so, so who's saying all is well? It's saying that these guys are saying all is well and that we're buying it. We're buying it. Sadly, uh, that then that takes us after uh, 13. Now to look at uh, one more Ezekiel passage. Ezekiel 33, the first uh, about 10 verses. This is to tell us the watchman's duty, a true watchman. Check this out. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the sons of your people and say to them, If I bring a sword upon the land, the sword of justice, we just read about that, the sword of justice, this is, this is that end time context, and we know because God told us in DNC. If I bring a sword upon a land, and the people of the land take one man from among them and make him their watchman, there's watchman again, and seize the sword coming upon the land and blows the horn and warns the people. Then someone who hears the sound of the horn but doesn't take warning, the sword comes and takes him away, his blood will be on his own head. He heard the sound of the horn but did not take warning, his blood will be on himself. But had he taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the horn and the people are not warned, and a sword comes and takes a person from them, he is taken away for his wrongdoing, or as the King James, in his iniquity. But I will require his blood from the watchman's hand. So here, just a quick commentary that he's giving in the midst of that saying, well, he'll be taken in his own iniquity. He's he's laying out, the word of the Lord is laying out those who are taken by this mighty storm, the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, the Antichrist. It's those who won't hearken to the truth, as Nephi said in 2 Nephi 28, because um, they're, not, they're not listening, because the Lord is going to send other shepherds. So they're listening to the wrong watchman, the watchman who won't blow the horn. So these watchmen, they're supposed to blow the horn so you could hear it. Right? Uh, now, as for you, son of man, I have appointed you as a watchman for the house of Israel, so you will hear a message from my mouth and give them a warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you wicked person, you'll certainly die. You do not speak to the one the wicked about his way. That wicked person shall die for his wrongdoing. But I will require his blood from your hand. But if you on your part warn a wicked person to turn from his way and do not turn, and he doesn't turn from his way, he'll die in his iniquity or for his wrongdoing. But you have saved your life. Now, as for you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, this is what you have said. Surely your offenses and your sins are upon us, and we are rotting away in them. How then can we survive? We're not going to survive this day of vengeance. So here we have the watchman's duty. The true watchman's duty is to blow the horn. You've got to blow the horn. You've got to. So those that say, "Oh well, they're just they're just hinting at stuff because uh, uh, for whatever reason, excuse here. Oh, they don't ha they have to be careful because too much persecution will come to them if they say anything here. We got to be. They have to be careful with their words. They have to be careful with their words. It says, if I give you a warning and you don't blow that trump, I'm going to require it upon your head because you're supposed to do that. A true watchman upon the tower would do that. Okay, and we all need to be. Those watchmen, as, as uh, Moses said, I would to God that all his people were prophets, so we all are supposed to be that. So stop sitting around and waiting for someone else to do it. Uh, 
So we have some amazing cross-references here with uh, with chapter 33. We can go and see some more from Isaiah for a second now. Isaiah 9, 14 to 16. I'm going to look at the Isaiah Institute. Therefore, Jehovah will cut off from Israel, right here in the middle, head and tail, palm top and reed in a single day. Who is he talking about? The elders or notables are the head. The prophets who teach falsehoods, the tail. Well, which prophets? The leaders of these people have misled them or led them astray. And those who are led are confused. Or look at the King James on the left, are destroyed. Interesting. Interesting. And the next one after that. These are just a few highlights. 29 verses 9 and 10, all from Isaiah. Procrastinate and become bewildered. Preoccupy yourselves until you cry for help. Be drunk, but not with wine. Stagger, but not from strong drink. We read that in 28. Jehovah has poured out on you a spirit of deep sleep. He has shut your eyes, the prophets. He has covered your heads, the seers. They are not seeing. They are not seeing. They are asleep. But are we asleep too? Because if we're not seeing, in fact, Moroni says we are asleep. Moroni says in Ether 8, verses 23 and 24, when you will see these secret abominations among you Gentiles, Gentiles that have the gospel, Latter-day Saints, then thus commandeth the Lord that ye awaken to a sense of your awful situation. Interesting. So we are asleep, according to Moroni, and so are these guys. Isn't that curious? That's Isaiah 29. So now Isaiah 56, 9 through 12. All you wild beasts, you animals of the forest, come and devour. Which we just saw that about the wild beasts filling the land. And he said, you're going to be just like those jackals. Their watchmen are altogether blind and unaware. There we go. Blind again in the watchmen. The watchmen are altogether blind and unaware. And look at this. All of them are dumb watchdogs unable to bark. So... A true watchman blows the horn. It's like, well, you're you're dumb watchdogs. So we already have them as watchmen over here. And interesting, we saw uh, just as a just as an interesting uh, play on words. They are all bite. They all they are no bark and all bite, or all bite and no bark. They don't bark, but they are feeding themselves and they are devouring the sheep, as Ezekiel and Jeremiah said. So they're all bite. They're ravenous wolves, all bite, no bark to warn. Curious. The Lord knows how to do wordplay here in the scriptures. Lolling seers fond of slumber. There's the asleep again. Verses 11 and 12. Gluttonous dogs and insatiable, such indeed are insensible shepherds. So now... Now, again, we have the uh, air quotes over shepherds. Insensible shepherds are not true shepherds. They are all diverted to their own way, everyone after his own advantage. Come, they say, let us get wine and have our fill of liquor, for tomorrow will be like today, only far better. Look at that. The peace. Everything's going to be fine. All's well in Zion is what's going right there. All's well in Zion. So, 
Isaiah is telling us, and we know Isaiah is supposed to be fulfilled in the end. Ezekiel told us, and Jesus just told us in Doctrine and Covenants that that'll be fulfilled in the end. So a couple other testimonies, and and when you read Isaiah all the way to the end of the Bible, all those prophets are talking about stuff that applies to us. You can read Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and then all the short book, uh, books of the prophets as well. And you can, and we'll see one little example of that in Micah chapter 5. So Micah chapter 5, verses 5 through 12 On the right side. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray. Interesting. Who cry peace. There it is again. So they're crying peace and prophets lead astray. So they're crying peace. All is well. We have that over and over and over again. So prophets who lead my people astray. We have it. Who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing in their mouths. Therefore it shall be night to you without vision, darkness, without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets. Ah, look at that. Sun shall go down. Their time is coming to an end, and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced, and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips, for there's no answer from God. Interesting. At least not to them. But as for because God said he will send true shepherds. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. This is the voice of the end-time servant. But as for me, I am filled with power, which power? The power and authority of the Holy Ghost, with the Spirit of the Lord, with justice and might, to declare his transgression and his sin to Israel, to Jacob. So he comes to say, look, this is your, this is your issue. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob. Oh, that's a great phrase. Got to add that one. Running out of room. Too much wickedness going on here. Filling up my space. Heads of the house of Jacob or house of Israel. Who are the heads? That's what Isaiah just said. The heads. Head and tail. Palm top and reed will be cut off. Interesting. The seers disgraced. So verse 9. You heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight. So walk in his paths with their straight. So that's not only heads, but it's also rulers. So the ruling, the house of Israel. Who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Whoa, now he's getting serious. It, it's, it's heads give judgment for a bribe. It's priests teach for a price. There it is again, doing it for money, just like Moroni said. Its prophets practice divination for money, yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. There it is. No disaster shall come upon us. No evil shall come upon us. We just got it again. No evil. There it is. There it is. And there's the money. I don't think I even added that. But the money's a huge thing. We've seen money over and over and over again. We've seen it over and over and over again. The money. Which means maybe we should follow the money as we hear so often. Follow the money. Interesting. Look at this. 
is not in the Lord in the midst of us. No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Zion. Zion shall be plowed as a field. Who is Zion? Who's who 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 who's Zion? So if we haven't got the idea, if we haven't got the gist, then then we really need to compare this again right where we started. It is he twelve. Behold, vengeance cometh, and upon my house, upon Zion shall it begin. First among you who have professed to know my name and have not known me. And section 64, verse 39, and liars and hypocrites shall be proved by them, by true Zion, those that come into Zion, the inhabitants of Zion, and they who are not apostles and prophets shall be known. That's what Micah is saying here. But Zion, the Lord's people, shall be plowed as a field. So this idea of destroyed, who gets destroyed said the Gentiles get destroyed. Well, if the Gentiles get destroyed, Micah says that's Zion, again, end time context here, when Zion is destroyed first because it's first upon my people. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. So the latter time Jerusalem as well, just the same. Now, we see here in the JST of Mark 9 a little bit of emphasis of what we should be doing. What is our job? Again, if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. For he that is thy standard by whom thou walkest, or the person that's supposed to be guiding your walk, your feet, if he become a transgressor, he shall be cut off. It is better for thee. It is better for thee to halt, to enter halt into life than having two feet cast into hell, into the fire that shall not be quenched. Therefore, let every man stand or fall by himself and not for another, not, or in other words, not trusting another, going back to Nephi, not to put your trust in arm of flesh. And then look at it again, he'll say it again. Seek unto my father, it shall be done in that very moment what ye shall ask. So what should we lean on? Nephi said, well, only listen to men if their precepts are given by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. But also here, expanding Mark with this idea, well, you need to lean upon the Holy Ghost for that direction. And ask in faith, believing what you shall receive. Well, that is the same instruction that we get in section 45 of the Doctrine and Covenants, verses 56 and 57, when the Lord tells us about the fulfillment of the parable of the ten virgins. Section 45. 56, 57, and at that day, when I shall come in my glory, shall the parable be fulfilled, which I spake concerning the ten virgins. For they that are wise and have received the truth and have taken the Holy Spirit for their guide and have not been deceived. Deceived! Deceived by who? Who? Who who are we going to get deceived by? These chapters have told us who's trying to deceive us. So where is the deception? Verily I say unto you, they shall not be hewn down and cast into the fire, but they shall abide the day. So take the Holy Spirit for their guide, JST Mark 9. Seek unto my Father, and it shall be done in that very moment what ye shall ask. Ask in faith, believing ye shall receive. Receive receive what? He's talking about the context of receiving direction of, of what to do, where to go. So follow. Who do we follow? Follow the Spirit. 
And if thine eye, which seeth for thee, him that is appointed to watch over thee, to show thee, show thee light, him that is appointed to watch over thee, watchman, if he become a transgressor and offend thee, pluck him out. So he's telling you pluck him out. So if a, if, if, if a president of this church were to lead you astray, God would remove him. No. Mark says, well, Mark's telling us, Jesus says, uh, you remove him. You remove him. You pluck him out. If you're seeing that. Interesting. So, so Jesus makes it really clear there with Mark what we're supposed to do. DNC 45 clarifies that. Nephi already told us that. Second Nephi 28, 31. Again, just for emphasis, cursed is he that puts his trust in man or makes flesh his arm or shall hearken to the precepts of men, save their precepts are given by the Holy Ghost. Is not my word like fire? My mouth is like a sharp sword. So that is, that is what we're left with. And so at the parable of the redemption of Zion, that's what happened here. Section 101, 43 to 69, the watchmen come in and take over because the servants were being slothful. And look, they take over the vineyard. They take over the vineyard. They take over the vineyard, the Lord's pasture, the Lord's people, which we just showed is Zion right here. We just showed that. And that's what happened. They took over. And the Lord got upset and said, wait, you didn't do what I said. So then he comes, verse 55, he speaks to one of his servants and says, go and gather the residue of my servants. So now he's going to send true servants to go and rescue them. Gather out the strength of my house and redeem my vineyard. Go rescue them. I'm sending back the true shepherds to and the true husbandmen who will render the fruits in their seasons, he says. Interesting, we have these parables of the vineyards and everything. We need to make a reference to understand what happened during this time. We'll make a brief reference to Jacob 5. It's much too long to read, but uh, we have we have here just a couple of verses to pay attention to, and then we have a couple of quotes to look at, and then to also pay attention to this dream that Joseph Smith had which is the inspiration for the cover picture on this uh, presentation. You guys wonder what in the world it was there for. So we have this picture of an old barn. We're going to look at a dream that's going to describe that here. So we have in Jacob 5 some subtle reference to the same thing that we just read. And I'm going to show you or attempt to show you because verse 49 is the same thing as the start of the parable of the redemption of Zion. Because he says, uh, we're going to go down and hew down the trees and cast them into the fire, the Lord says. And then the servant says, wait, wait a little longer, verse 50. And the Lord says, okay, I will spare it longer because I don't want to lose it. So verse 52, wherefore, let us go and fix it. And then we're going to fix it up. This is at the beginning of the parable of redemption of Zion when they come to the choice spot of land. And he says, go and establish my vineyard and plant the 12 olive trees and do all that. This is the same, this is the same thing that's going on right here. That's this moment in Jacob 5. So then he says, let us do all these things. Let us take care of the trees and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and you have all the allegory type of language. 
and then look at verse 54 and behold the roots of the natural branches of the tree which i planted with us so i would are yet alive because earlier earlier the branches overcame the roots earlier in the parable the branches overcame them interesting we're going to look at a quote that talks about that but the roots are yet alive and they're good so it's going to save the tree and then look at verse 55 this is what's key here and it came to pass that they took past tense they did it they did what he just said okay and they also took verse 56 and then verse 57 look at this pluck not the wild branches save it be those which are most bitter so that's the idea of the parable of the wheat and the tares which also is right after the parable of redemption of zion so don't pull out the bad ones just yet we're going to pull those out at the end interesting all the connections and we will nourish, and then look at this, and we will nourish again. Look at that. 58, we will nourish again. So the parable of redemption of Zion, he sends the servants, they establish the vineyard, but the wicked watchmen come and take it over, and they're ruling over it. And then he comes back and says, I'm going to send the servants back and, and rescue my sheep, or rescue my vineyard, and go and knock down their walls and scatter their watchmen. And then we have here in Jacob 5, he said, okay, so they we got to go into all this stuff and fix the trees. And then we have those verses. And then they took it and they did it. But then he says right after that, and we're going to nourish it again. So it's really subtle. And it's in there that there's going to be another, another time. And this idea that perhaps the roots may take strength because of their goodness. The roots are good. So let's skip down and look at verse 61. Wherefore, go to and call servants. So there it is again. Verse 61 is the same thing. Verse 61 is the same thing as section 101 when it talks about go to and call other servants and that they may uh, gather out the strength of mine house. And let's read these back to back. So Jacob 5, we have go call servants that we may labor diligently with our might in the vineyard that we may prepare the way that bring forth again the natural fruit, which natural fruit is good and most precious. Wherefore, let us go to and labor with our might this last time. The end draweth nigh. There we go. And then all of the allegory, grafting the branches, do this, do that. So section 101, verse 55, the Lord of the vineyard spake unto one of the servants, go and gather together the residue of my servants. So Jacob 5 the servant never changed from verse 49 till now. It's the same servant the whole time. And section 101, the servant is the same servant the whole time. It's a clue to who the servant is that he's sending back to be a shepherd. Go and gather together the rest of my servants, the residue of my servants, and take all the strength of mine house. Uh, so getting gathering the fruit, which are my warriors, young men, the middle age, etc. And go straightway, verse 56, to the land and redeem my vineyard, for it is mine. And look at 57, therefore, get ye straightway into my own land, break down the walls of mine enemies, throw down their tower, and scatter their watchmen, that my enemy, enemy watchmen. So here he's saying that there will be enemy watchmen. Here it is, miserable, wicked husbandmen, the enemy watchmen, the shepherds, the wicked watchmen. Right here. The wicked watchmen, the enemies, we had all that. We've been building it since the beginning. And inasmuch as they gathered together against you, avenge me of mine enemies, that by and by I may come with the residue of my house and possess the land. There it is again, my house, my people. So Jacob 5 has encoded in there that same idea. And you can compare those back to back and see, wow, they're, they are talking about the same thing. So to conclude... 
that's like, how do we get here? How could this be? Well, let's look at a quote by William Marks, who was state president in Nauvoo. And he gave this testimony. And this was a while after Joseph died. Okay. So this is a really interesting recollection on the left side of the screen here. William Marks, 15 years after. I feel desires to communicate through your periodical a few suggestions that made manifest to me by the Spirit of God in relation to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. About the 1st of June, 1844, just before Joseph died, situated as I was, presiding elder of the stake in Nauvoo, and by appointment, the presiding officer of the High Council, I had a very good opportunity to know the affairs of the Church, and my convictions at that time were that the Church, in a great measure, had departed from the pure principles and doctrines of Jesus Christ. Interesting. Wicked Watchman taking over. <clears throat> I felt much troubled in my mind about the condition of the church. I prayed earnestly to my Heavenly Father to show me something in regard to it when I was wrapped in a vision, and it was shown me by the Spirit that the top or branches had overcome the root. There it is, Jacob 5, in sin and wickedness. And the only way to cleanse and purify it was to disorganize it. And in due time, the Lord would reorganize it again. There were many other things suggested to my mind. The lapse of time has erased them from memory. Interesting. So curious that here we have William Marks talking about this, um, and it happened in section uh, or chapter four of the Book of Commandments, uh, the same idea where it was prophesied, and and there's two verses that don't exist in our uh, doctrine comes today because now it was chapter four then it's section five now. So take a look here. I'm pulling it up from, you can see it from the Joseph Smith papers. It is currently section five. But these two verses, verses five and six, are missing from our section five. Why? I do not know. But look at this prophecy. Thus, if the people of this generation harden not their hearts, I will work a reformation among them. Interesting. So we have a restoration already. Now he's talking about a reformation. Why would they need a reformation? And I will put down all lyings. Look at that. Lying. Liars deceivings look at that and priestcrafts and envies we've been talking about this the whole time and strifes and idolatries and sorceries and all manner of iniquities and i will establish my church like unto the church which was taught in my disciples days of old and look at this verse six and now if this generation do harden their hearts now here's here is what happens if they harden my heart harden their hearts behold i will deliver them up unto satan for he reigneth and hath much power at this time for he hath not for he hath got great hold upon the hearts of the people of this generation which people is he talking about He's not talking about the people that are outside the church. He's talking about the people of the church because there's no reason for the people outside the church to have this. So, great hold upon their hearts. And not far from the iniquities of Sodom and Gomorrah do they come at this time. And behold, the sword of justice, there's the end time context. The sword of justice hangeth over their heads. And if they persist in the hardness of their hearts, the time cometh that it must fall upon them. Must fall upon them. Section 112. Behold, I tell you these things, even as I also told the people of the destruction of Jerusalem. So there he makes the tie again back to Matthew 23 and 24. Right there in that prophecy. He's making the tie just like we did earlier. And that's what William Marks is talking about. So let's read this dream. This is the last night that the prophet was alive. The night before his martyrdom, he has this dream. 
about this old barn. And it talks about exactly what the parable of the redemption of Zion was talking about. It talks about exactly what the rest of this stuff was talking about uh, during all these chapters. And it ties it all together. So this was uh, told to us by uh, Dan Jones, who was who was there, and he told this too. So thanks to Jan jo- Dan Jones, we have this, the dilapidated barn occurring on June 26, 1844 while he was in Carthage. He was killed the next day. The prophet stated, I was back in Kirtland, Ohio, and I thought I would take a walk out by myself and view my old farm, which I found grown up in weeds and brambles and altogether bearing evidence of neglect and want of culture. I went into the barn, which I found without floor or doors with the weather boarding off and was altogether in keeping with the farm while I viewed the desolation around me and was contemplating how it might be recovered from the curse upon it. There came rushing into the barn, a company of furious men, miserable, wicked men who commenced to pick a quarrel with me. The leader of the party ordered me to leave the barn and farm stating it was none of mine and I must give up all hope of ever possessing it. I told him the farm was given to me by the church. And although I had not, um, had any use for it for some time back. Interesting, for some time, not had use for it. Still, I had not sold it. I had not sold it to any other man. And according to righteous principles, it belonged to me or the church. He then grew furious and began to rail upon me and threaten me and said it never did belong to me or the church. I then told him that I did not think it worth contending about, that I had no desire to live upon it in its present state. And if he thought he had better right, I would not quarrel with him about it, but leave. But my assurance that I would not trouble him at present present did not seem to satisfy him and he seemed determined to quarrel with me and threaten me with the destruction of my body so to kill me while he was thus engaged pouring out his bitter words upon me a rabble rushed in and nearly filled the barn drew out their knives and began to quarrel among themselves for the premises they're fighting for this barn and for a moment forgot me at which time i took the opportunity to walk out of the barn about to ankles in my mud or about to my ankles in mud and when i was a little distance from the barn i heard them screeching and screaming in a very distressed manner as it appeared they had engaged in a general fight with their knives while they were thus engaged the vision the dream or vision ended that was a prophetic dream about what was happening at that time in the church and the barn represents Joseph's stewardship over the church and what happened to it. And Joseph comes back to the barn. He comes back to the barn, but it's all dilapidated. And what does he say? And what happens? He leaves it at the end. That ties back to the parable. Then understood they, the parable which he spake unto them, that in the latter days, the Gentiles or the latter day saints should be destroyed also when the Lord should descend. So that's what happened. That's how we understand it. Um, we will take just a couple of really pertinent questions here, but for I know it's late, but for those who would like to engage in any further discussion, we will do that in our Zoom. And the comment to join that will, or, or the, the link to join that will be in the comments. Um, and I say this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for sticking with me through this uh, lengthy but uh, worthwhile presentation. At least I hope I hope worthwhile. And uh, Mark is handling the comments. 
So we have the discussion on Zoom. If I will wait uh, just a couple minutes, if there were any pertinent questions to answer here for the podcast and for the video, but we will be going over there for more question Q and A, not just Q and A, but also discussion and comments and people to share thoughts and whatnot, and and we'll have that uh, exchange over there. And right before we do, I think it would be helpful to just do a quick review of all the slides that we built on here on my messy whiteboard to see on the left, enemy, wicked watchmen, quote-unquote shepherds, wicked husbandmen, leading my people astray, vain hopes, quote-unquote prophets of Jerusalem who lead my people, declaring peace that no evil will come upon you. We have the end-time context. We have the vineyard versus the pasture, same thing. Zion, same thing. True shepherds replacing them, true husbandmen replacing them. The end-time exodus seeing the presence of the Lord, the fake wall, the covenant with death, all the lies, the deception, the hypocrisy, crying out peace when there's no peace. They should prophesy my word, which is like fire, sword, hammer, the true servants, the good husbandmen. They don't enter the kingdom of heaven. They block it from the people. They're blind guides. They wear sheep's clothing. They appear righteous, miserable, wicked men, not tending or feeding the flock. And they will be destroyed. True watchmen blow the horn. The great and abominable church shall be destroyed. So we see who's a part of that great and abominable church here. Secret abominations are reigning. I'm going to contend with them. I'm going to stand against them. They are asleep. They are not seeing. They are dumb watchdogs. These are heads and the these are heads or rulers of the house of Jacob, and they love, 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 love money more than anything else. So uh Mark, do we have any questions or should we just head over to the Zoom? Uh, looks like most of them are just comments. I'm not seeing a lot of questions that weren't already dealt with. Here's one from Randy, though, from a little bit earlier. Um, Does anyone believe on. that Jesus appeared to Joseph Smith when Jesus says that when he does come, all eyes will see him? Um, I'm not sure I understand the question 100%, but I would love to have you jump over and talk to us more about it in the Zoom so that you can explain that a little bit more because that sounds really interesting, Randy, and I would love to hear more about that and hear other, what other people have to say. So we're going to end this and we're going to jump over to the Zoom. For those that want to, um, it, it's late, but I'd love to have a conversation with all of you. So we'll see you over there. Thanks so much for joining.